0: Scripture reader this morning is Kirsten from the sound booth. We just want to see the front of your face. You're usually hiding back there. So I appreciate you. So turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. He'll be reading 8 through 13. Philippians 4 8 through 13. finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. King's kids, if you are in second grade on down, you are dismissed. King's Kids is ready to tackle you, literally. Yeah, they're ready. <coughs> Armed and dangerous. So Philippians chapter 4, Paul is winding up his letter to the church in Philippi. They have blessed him greatly, and he sends this letter back. It's... Um, an interesting letter because he's not particularly answering any of their big questions like he is to other churches in their letters. He's not addressing any overt sin like he is in other letters. Uh, he's not trying to uh, represent himself as, as, as an apostle. He doesn't have to defend his apostleship like he does to other churches. Man, this is one of those letters you, that you just like to write. It's like everything's kind of going well. So, the title is Content in Him. That's important because we don't handle pain and suffering well. Now, I understand some of you, ladies especially, have a much higher pain threshold than us men, and you smirk sometimes when we hurt ourselves. We have a boo boo. Or when we get sick and we act like we're going to die, you, you can fully function like walking pneumonia sometimes. Some of you have an intensely high pain threshold. Uh, but, but it's not just that kind of physical pain. Because emotional pain, psychological traumas, they haunt everyone eventually. This is because there are so many things in our lives that are out of our control Have you sensed that? There are many things going on in the world to which we cannot directly act, help, fix. There are a lot of things beyond our repair, beyond our repair outside of us, but also beyond our repair in our own hearts and minds. Our own hearts and minds are very difficult to control and fix. So we don't handle outward pain and suffering well, and we don't handle inward pain and suffering well. Definitely, we are not very good at handling grief. So this universal pain that all humans possess, eventually, wears them out. Listen to these words from one of the church fathers written in 400 A.D. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I think he puts his finger on the plight or the dilemma of all humanity. When we are suffering, we are not going to find contentment unless we find it in God. Doesn't mean we can't go to the doctor. Doesn't mean we can't pursue good, healthy counseling and therapy. But ultimately, our true rest is only in Him. This is what Paul is aiming at today. Last week, we saw that Paul guided us to dwell on and practice things that directly connect us to God Himself. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And then in verse 9, practice these things. He says, absorb them, focus on them, and do them. Let godly things influence you to be a godly person. That's good. Because that's how we give our lives And our attention to God And that's how we take our eyes And our attention off the world Off of our pain Off of our suffering Off of our grief But the flip side Of not handling pain and suffering Is this We don't don't handle prosperity well either We do not Handle prosperity or blessings well. Which do you think is easier or more natural? To turn to God in your prosperity or to turn to God in your adversity? What do you find to be true? Do people seem to ask for more prayer and pray more often? My life is hard and difficult when they're at their wits end, when they are in their darkest hour. Lord, save me. We don't have very many other prayers of Peter. Man, he's quick to call out for help when he's fumbling. Seems like we, we assume we are helping God. We assume we are adding we assume our job is to help Him because He needs us. He needs us. Doesn't He need us? <laughs> oh, no. It is we who need Him when things are bad, but also when things are good. So it's one thing to turn to God in our desperation. It is a whole other ball game When we learn to turn our hearts and our minds to God, in the middle of success And in the middle of prosperity and I, and I mean More than just saying Praise the Lord I mean a life and a heart That is focused On keeping God At the center of all things Listen to this prayer From an ancient saint In Proverbs chapter 30 Verses 8 and 9 Listen to this prayer Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Spiritual people have long understood that temptations come in all circumstances of life, both extremes and everything in between. So here's here's the first blank. When we suffer, will we praise God? Will we focus on God? Will we give God our attention? Will we turn to him? When we suffer, will we turn to God? Sometimes sometimes we'll seek revenge first. Sometimes we'll try to get in the last word. Sometimes we'll try to get even. Sometimes we try our way and fail and then come to God. It needs to be our, resp- our most natural response that when we encounter the difficulties of life, we turn to God. But also, when we prosper, will we turn to God. When things are going great, Will it be our first inclination to say praise the Lord? Or will it be our first inclination to ask, God, is this for me or should I give it away? When God prospers us, it's not always for us. In fact, it's not about us. When we make life about us, we miss the fact that everything we get is a gift from God. And you are just a manager, a middle manager, Manager on planet earth of all of God's stuff. Live open handed. Live open handed. That's easy to do when you have nothing in your hand. It's a lot more difficult when there are many things that can be taken away. Because our response is not to walk around open handed with stuff. We're going to drop it. We're going to lose it. I need to guard it. I need to protect it. This is mine. This is why we have pockets. Except for some of you ladies. I I can't believe why they... Why do they even make pants without pockets? That is insane. We have a purse. purse. Yes, that (laughs) explains everything. So in our prosperity, are we going to live open-handed? In verse 10 this morning, Paul rejoices. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now that at last you have revived your concern for me. So they've had concern before. Now they've had concern again. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity because he had enough. Now it's been a long time, and he doesn't have enough. In verse 10, Paul rejoices that the church basically has sent him money, and they sent him a person. Remember Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus. This church has blessed Paul. The Philippians knew that Paul needed money. <laughs> like, like, duh. Who doesn't need money? Don't you need money? Well, yeah. But they also knew he needed support. They didn't just mail it to him. They sent somebody to take it to him. And that person stayed. So the concern and care of the Philippians causes Paul to rejoice. And not just here. He rejoices Many times over in this letter. In fact, the word gratitude jumps out many times in this letter. And he's not done yet. He ha- he's going to expand on this next week. Gratitude. What a fantastic word to be on the lips and in the heart of a Christian. Grateful for everything. Gratitude. Paul rejoices. He's showing some gratitude. And then verse 11 Not that I speak from want. He he quickly pumps the brakes there. I'm glad you sent me a gift. Verse 11, not that I needed it, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. So Paul, in verse 11, is quick to show humility or humbleness. Gratitude, humility, He's quick to show humility because talking about money is a touchy thing. You talk about money too much and people think you're greedy. You talk about money too little and people think you're ungrateful or out of touch with reality. So Paul demonstrates a godly virtue of contentment. When people give, he's content with what God provides. And he rejoices in God. When people don't give, Paul is content And he rejoices in whatever God allows. You see the theme here. Paul has learned to be content in whatever circumstance of life he finds himself in. Great need or great prosperity. Whether he has much or little, Paul is focusing his heart right down the middle of the road. And he's going to be content with whatever God allows into his life. Circumstances do not drive Paul's spiritual life. <clears throat> after the book of Philippians is Colossians. then first and second Thessalonians and I'm turning to First Timothy right after the got those T's all lined up there, Thessalonians, Timothy. Turn with me to First Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> this is not the only place. Paul talks about contentment. Since it's such a major theme in his own life, he brings it up quite often. I want to direct your attention to one other really good, meaty passage. Very meaningful. Where Paul teaches... And Now, Timothy is a young pastor. He's he's probably actually with Paul when Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians. This is nothing new. Well, Oh, he's heard that before. He doesn't need to hear that from me yes paul writes it to him again later on and he sends a letter to timothy because timothy is pastoring a young church he's got a lot of people to watch over paul writes a couple of letters to him here's how you run the church here's how you are to be a godly person in the middle of being their leader these are not leadership letters these are christian life letters for somebody who is a leader. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm beginning in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Or, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of the world either. If we have food... And clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing after money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang but flee from these things, man of God. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That list sounds very familiar. Sounds a lot like Philippians chapter 4. Whatsoever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, commendable. Why? Paul knows if you don't focus on godly things you will not live a godly life be content with what you have not what you don't have he doesn't say that but he's saying that be content with what you have no matter how little it is and stop focusing on what you don't have or on what other people have have you ever have you ever thought about that before well i'm not it's not that i have it i'm just i can't help think about it cuz they have it <laughs> In today's media-driven circus, with screens in front of us, 24-7, we see what other people have, and we forget what we have. We, we look at what's six inches away, and forget about the people in our own house. We look at, we're watching somebody else live life. That's not, they're not living life. Live your own life. Be content with what you have. So godliness with contentment is great gain. So this is Paul's wisdom to a young pastor with some warnings mixed in, and he's saying that godliness can flourish in you whether you have a lot or whether you have little. You can be a godly person whatever God brings into your life, rich or poor. You can be godly because what you have is circumstantial and it will change. You weren't born with anything. God loved you, you're going to die and take nothing with you. And God's going to love you then too. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. We even say ashes to ashes, dust to dust at a good funeral. That, That really cuts down to it. You aren't taking anything with you. Make sure God has you. That's contentment. Not what you have, but who you know has you. That changes the formula. It's not about gaining things in life. It's about being captivated and owned by the one who already owns all things. We're just dealing with little plastic poker chips in this life. For real. The truth, the reality of all things is God and Christ and the Spirit. Yes and amen. That's the richness. So Paul thanks the Philippians for their generosity. Um, not that I speak from want. Like he's so touchy there. I just can't get over how touchy he is. Like, thank you, but I didn't need it. Thank you, but like, when churches talk about money, people start squirming. Uh, it's, just, it's uncomfortable to talk about. So let me make you squirm for just a second. The largest monetary investment a church ever makes is in people. Primarily, they're pastors and missionaries. The largest chunk of money always goes towards staff. It's just the harsh truth. People. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have Pastor Kevin Strope here to give you an update on his many adventures in ministry. Because you've invested in him, and he wants to tell you how it's going. You've invested in him for decades and he still loves you, and he asks about you, and he follows a lot of you on Facebook, and he's keeping touch on you. Keep in touch. So he wants to, and then the week after that, we're going to have a young man here named Caleb Spann who is beginning a ministry on the campus of OU. He wants to reach out to his classmates, and we're going to support him as a missionary, a missionary on the campus of OU. Do they need a missionary? Yeah, it's one of the easiest mission fields you could ever invest in because literally people from around the world are coming to that university from various cultures, various countries. Like, yeah, I know it's going to be hard for, you know, some of you Cowboys fans. Then you go to OSU, right? No, the they do. They, they've always needed a missionary. Uh, <laughs> but, but I'll never forget the greatest. My favorite comeback on that is, but the Lord leads me by waters." Keep, keep moving, keep moving there. Uh, so our officers, our elders, our deacons have decided uh, to invest money in people more than facilities. And we invest in facilities. We like the air conditioning. We like the lights to be on. We like things to work, We need new crayons and new desks and we need new, we do, but that's not where the bulk of our money goes. It goes to people. Um, and time I pause and think about it, it kind of fascinates me. We don't charge you anything. It's one of the first things in ministry that drove me crazy, kinda made me scared. We don't send out bills. Everything we get here is a free will donation. That's it. It doesn't cost to be a member. Doesn't cost to come in. This is part of our community service. It, you come. You want to be here. You come. We're not going to charge you. When we have somebody at the door, you know, like a bouncer. Show me your membership card. Oh, you're late. You owe this. Like, they would enjoy that. <laughs> they harass you enough when you come in, right? Our security team. They they love you. They get to know you. But um, that just boggles my mind. Everything we have here has been given. Everything. Everything here is a gift every pew, every every strand of carpet, every light bulb, all of that. Every person, every staff member we've ever had is because people gave to make that happen. Paul is very grateful. I'm very grateful. We rejoice when people give because you're giving to the Lord and then the God's people decide how to spend that money. It's fantastic. No one's forced to give. So thank you for your great generosity. In verse 12, what makes Paul so content? What makes him rejoice the most? Well, he knows something, and he's sharing his wisdom with us. In verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means. That's a nice way of saying barely enough. I know how to get away with humble means. I know how to survive with very, very little. And I also know how to live in prosperity. Prosperity is more than enough. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret that should make you listen. Oh, he's, he learned a secret. I've learned a secret of being filled and going hungry. Like, I like that filled part. I don't like that going hungry part. I like that filled. I mean, we're looking forward to that, right? You got, you got meat marinating in the fridge at home. You're ready to get your grill on tomorrow. You're, we're ready to get your grill on today. Like, we enjoy... We we like being satisfied. There's something that brings out the contentment. Something about a good meal brings a lot of contentment to people. But what about not having a meal? That's hard to be content when your tummy's rumbling. It's hard. Paul says, "Here's the secret. I've learned a secret." Take notes, write it down. Being filled, going hungry, having abundance or suffering need. The next blank is a literal translation of verse 13. I have talked about this verse in a couple different series where we talked about some of the most misinterpreted or misused verses in the Bible if you are here back then. This is one of the most abused, misused verses misunderstood verses in the bible philippians 4:13 a lot of athletes will put it on tattoos they'll put it under their eyes philippians 4:13 they want to win the game they want to win the championship they want to overcome some adversity they have and it's a game god is not talking about a game he's talking about something way bigger he's talking about your everyday life and the struggle you live in when you feel like you don't have enough or when you do have enough and you take your eyes off of Jesus. When you fall victim to the very thing the book of Proverbs was praying against, God protect me lest I have my fill and I say, who's the Lord? I don't need the Lord. My barns are full. Protect me from poverty lest I steal and profane your name. Protect me protect me this is what philippians 4 13 is about paul is saying god is protecting me from abandoning him this is a a verse about faith in jesus christ this is a verse about the temptation to walk away from the faith or to dishonor god this is not a literal verse i can do all things through christ who strengthens me really so if i pray to jesus i can jump over this building. That's all things. Really? If I pray to Jesus more than the other team, I'm going to win the game? Is that what this verse means? No. Context. He's talking about contentment, whether he has little or whether he has much. Here's the literal translation. For all things, I have strength. I have strength in the one Strengthening me. For all things, I have strength. I have strength. This is very passive. I have received strength. For all things, I have strength. Where? In... The one who strengthens me. It is God who is the active agent in this formula. Nami. If I am out of him, he still has all strength, but I have none. If I remove myself from his presence, he still is all powerful. He still has everything I need, but I'm not in Him. Outside of Him, I can't do anything that matters. I can't rejoice. I can't be content. I can't have gratitude or humility in anything in life when I am out of Him. But in Him, when I am in Him, I have His strength. And that's all I need. See, the emphasis here is on God. Providing the strength to those who are in him. I have strength in the one. The one. Strengthening me. A direct reference to the Lord. To who he's talking about. To who he loves. Some translators, grab your pen. Between the words all and things, write the word these. A lot of Greek commentaries like to insert the word all these things in there. The form of the word things allows for that and also puts it into context that Paul's not talking about all things on planet Earth or that are ever going to come into your life. He's talking about all these things he just talked about. It's a direct reference to the immediate context of contentment, whether I have much or little, whether I have Humble means or prosperity. Those are the things and everything in between. Wherever I find myself in life. All the things or all the circumstances of life. How can I survive in life when life has ups and downs? For all these things in life, I have strength. In the one who strengthens me. I like that he uses the word strength twice. Whether I'm filled or empty. I can keep faith in God. That's what this is a statement about. Faith in God. And he said, this is my secret. This is his contentment secret. Jesus, as your greatest treasure. Write that down. Jesus, as your greatest treasure. I have a secret. I know how to endure all things. How, Paul, how can you endure all these things you've talked about? Verse 13, uh, for all these things, I have strength. You don't have strength. You're like five foot nothing. You have bad eyes. You're bent over. You own like one cloak. You, <laughs> dude, you have nothing. You have like five people, maybe six people traveling around with you, and the whole Roman army's got you under arrest. In Rome, You're not even in Jerusalem. You can't do anything. You're useless. You're stuck. Well, when you talk about it like that, yeah, it's kind of depressing. Um, Paul's response, uh, I have a secret. <laughs> well, like a get-out-of-jail-free car? What do you mean you have a secret? <laughs> what is this secret? You have an army we don't know about? Well, that too, but can you see like Paul talking to a Roman guard, all this hope, all this encouragement, and the Roman guard is being puzzled, be like, what are you talking about? And then Paul kind of lowers his voice, I have a secret. Pull out his sword. What do you mean you have a secret? What would Paul say? I have Jesus. He's alive. He's with me. Better yet, I'm with him. I'm in him. All these things? I have more than enough strength to overcome this because I'm with him who strengthens me. Jesus is Paul's greatest treasure. Let me ask you for a second. When did Jesus become Paul's greatest treasure? Spitball in here. What do you think? When, When did Jesus become his greatest treasure? I see lips moving, but I'm not hearing anything. Yeah, when when was that? Yeah, on Damascus Road. That was my first impression too. Like, oh yeah, Damascus Road. That's totally when Jesus caught Paul's attention. Um, And then I was just curious, so I read the rest. I read I read Paul's life in Acts again, and I came up with a different conclusion because that's where I was too. I think Jesus got Paul's attention at the stoning of Stephen. When Stephen is dying, instead of speaking against, instead of pleading for forgiveness, pleading for freedom, please spare my life, I don't know, maybe he's got a family, maybe he's got kids, oh, I'm young, don't kill me, I'll do anything. He's not pleading for his life, he's saying, Lord, forgive them. And he, his face is shining with the presence of God. He sees Jesus as he's dying. I think that got Paul's attention. These people are strange. Now, at that moment in time, Paul took that focus of Jesus and tried to snuff it out. Jesus got Paul's attention, and he was fighting against it for the rest of his ministry as a Pharisee. And then on the road to Damascus, Jesus captured his heart. So that's his conversion. But Jesus had been working on him in previous circumstances. So I think that's interesting, that Paul never lost contact with Jesus, either as his enemy or as his friend. And Paul had seasons of life that were peaceful. when When I reread his life, Paul lives in the city of Ephesus for an extended amount of time, approximately two years. Things are peaceful. He lives in Antioch of Syria for a few years where he's preaching and teaching and things are peaceful. (laughs) But then trouble came to both of those places because Paul wouldn't shut up about talking about Jesus. So in Ephesus, he's run out of town. In Antioch, he even has, he has to fight Judaizers, people coming up from Jerusalem saying y'all need to be, all these Gentiles need to be circumcised. He even has to have a face-off with the Apostle Peter. In Antioch, like, "Ah, why can't we... Paul has learned appreciate whatever you have, whenever you have it, wherever you are, no matter what, because if you have Jesus, you're fine. When times are great, Paul rejoices. When times are rough, Paul rejoices. It's the same. This guy has learned the secret of contentment. It's knowing that Jesus is with him at all times. Have you learned that? The Christian life is about Jesus as your life write that down where you are and you look for these phrases these phrases in blue as you're reading through your Bible as you're meditating as you're reading look for these uses especially in Paul's letters in him through him and with him the dude is addicted to the presence of God he does not want to live a second outside of the presence of God And so when he encourages people, when he talks to people, the introductions of his letters and the conclusions of his letters, he almost abuses these phrases to those who are in Christ. Blessings to those who are with him, who are in God the Father, with Christ, through him, all over the place. He loves Jesus. He is captivated by Jesus as his life. On the last week of camp a couple weeks ago, the speaker made a big deal about this phrase, all in, about being all in with Jesus. And uh, all in, I love that phrase. I've been mulling it over for a long time. To be all in is to take everything you have and give it and risk it. Be all in. Right? Some of you are all in. one, two, three, four, five, six. Some of you are all in... One, two, three, four, five. Be careful there. Some of you were all in at an early age. You gave Jesus everything you had, or 13. 14, 15, 16. When you said you were all in with Jesus, you meant it, and it was genuine, and you were saved. But as life goes on, life gets complicated. We gain more dimensions to our personality. We understand people better. We have more experiences, and we have more stuff. We have a lot more stuff and I'm afraid that a lot of you have said you're all in, sometime in the past, and you meant it, and that's good. But what about everything you've gained since then? Are you missing something? It's easy when you're young, I'm all in. But then you have a career, and then you have responsibilities. Then you have kids, and you have grandkids. Have you actively dedicated all that you have to Jesus? Are you missing something? Because if you're anything like me, you just go through the course of life and you forget that you own a lot more than you've actually surrendered. To be all in is a growth process. You have to be all in at every stage of your life. Not just one and done. One, and it starts. And then every time God gives you something else in life, you live like that. Thank you, God. Boy, that's yours. Oops, I lost it. The economy just tanked. God, whatever. Wasn't mine to start with. It's yours. It's yours. So this, for the young people out there, make sure you make a, conscious, conscientious (laughs) intentional effort as you grow older to keep going all in with God keep it up, all in it changes as you grow so make sure you're not missing anything make sure you don't go long stretches of time without recommitment rededication re-evaluating your life and some of you right now some of you grown men with kids and women with grandkids are re-evaluating your lives right now and it is messy and i love it because you're not you're not coasting you're thinking yes why does god allow evil pain and suffering and trauma in our lives so we'll stop for a second and make sure we really are all in. And not living with white knuckles. God, don't take this away. What? Why not? Because I can't live without that. I can't live without this person. I can't live without this job. You haven't learned the secret of contentment, my friend. Whether I have everything or whether I have nothing, I have Jesus Whatever these things are, for all these things, I have strength in the one who strengthens me. Even if some of these chips are black. Even if some of these things are dark. If God hands me good, I will accept it. If God allows bad, I will accept that too. He'll give you the strength to persevere through all things. Christian, last blank, last line. I got got a couple there. Where will we find the strength we need? Where will we find the strength we need? Really? You said Jesus, but I mean, I don't have anything in the blank because you have to choose. Some of you are going to find the strength you need in your retirement. Some of you are depending upon your kids or your grandkids to give you all the strength you need. Some of you are depending on your job. Oh, yeah, I can't. That is literally a blank I cannot fill in for you. And everyone here needs to answer that. Where am I going to find what I really need? It's not going to pop up on the screen. Sorry. You have to open the word. You have to find Jesus yourself not hard to find but you're going to have to pray you're going to have to be all in what, is he, what does the Bible say who does God draw near to those who draw near to him that, that's how that that's how that works you can only do all the things of the Christian life through faith in Jesus who strengthens you you can only do all the messy things of life through faith in Jesus who strengthens you. You will only make it through the darkest and the brightest hours of life, sane, if you do it through faith in Jesus who will sustain you, who will keep you, who will provide for you, who will make sure you make it to the end. God is for you, not against you. Be content believing that even if you don't see it. That's the secret that Paul's tapped into. That's the secret he wants these Philippians to understand. They've blessed him with money, and he's trying to remind them thank you, thank you, thank you. But, Jesus, that's a good reminder for us. Be grateful. We have a lot to be grateful for. That's what this holiday is about gratefulness, thankfulness, not just our freedom as Americans, but let's kick it up a notch the freedom to worship Jesus the way He intends. Is that where we are? Stand with me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. And think about being all in. Is there something in your life you have uh, just taken for granted, not dedicated to the Lord, not given to the Lord, not consecrated to the Lord, Is there something in your life you have been tight-fisted about? Something you have sworn up and down that you would never want to lose, never want to leave, never want to see go away? Is there something in your life that has become an idol? Is it your health? Is it your job? Is it your kids living in proximity to you? What is it? that you need to release to Jesus this morning and put back into his hands. What is it? Your college choice, your career, your plant, release it. Think about that for just a second. Take a quiet moment and ask, God, is there anything I'm missing? Because I do I want to be all in. Show me if there be anything in my heart that I'm keeping from you. Show me where I need to open to you more. Trust you. Live with a life of gratitude and humbleness and contentment. God, I want you to be my peace because when I have that, I need nothing else. That is our prayer this morning, God. We lay our lives before you yet again, and we say, have your will, have your way. Teach us to be content with Jesus and to stop expecting other people or the things of this world to make us That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.